Section four of the Modern Scottish Minstrel, Volume One, by Charles Rogers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Cherley. Robert Cooper, M.D. Doctor Cooper was born in the parish of Sorby in Wigtonshire, on the twenty-second of September, seventeen fifty. His father rented the farm of Bowsier in that parish. With a view towards the ministry in the Scottish Church, he proceeded to the University of Glasgow in 1769, but being deprived of both his parents by death, before the completion of the ordinary period of academical study, and his pecuniary means being limited, he quitted the country for America, where he became tutor to a family in Virginia. He now contemplated taking orders in the Episcopal Church, but on the outbreak of the War of Independence in 1776, he returned to Britain without fulfilling his intention. He resumed his studies at Glasgow, preparatory to his seeking a surgeon's diploma, and he afterwards established himself as a medical practitioner in Newton Stewart, a considerable village in his native county. From this place he removed to Fochabers about the year 1788, on being recommended by his friend Dr. Hamilton, Professor of Anatomy at Glasgow, as physician to the Duke of Gordon. Before entering on this new sphere of practice, he took the degree of M.D. At Fochabers he remained till the year 1806, when he again returned to the south. He died at Wigton on the 18th of January, 1818. From a manuscript, Life of Dr. Cooper, in the possession of a gentleman in Wigton, and communicated to Dr. Murray, author of The Literary History of Galloway. These leading events of Dr. Cooper's life were first published by Mr. Lang in his Additional Illustrations to the Scots Musical Museum, Volume 4, page 513. Dr. Cooper published Poetry, Chiefly in the Scottish Language, Inverness, 1804, two volumes, duodecimo. Among some rubbish and much tawdry versification, there is occasional power, which, however, is insufficient to compensate for the general inferiority. There are only a few songs, but these are superior to the poems, and those following are not unworthy of a place among the modern national minstrelsy. Kinrara, to the tune Neil Gow. Red gleams the sun on yon hilltop, the dew sits on the gowan. Deep murmurs through her glens the spay, around Kinrara rowan. Where art thou, fairest, kindest lass? Alas, wert thou but near me, thy gentle soul, thy melting eye, would ever, ever cheer me. The lavrock sings among the clouds, the lambs they sport so cheery, and I sit weeping by the birk, O oh, where art thou, my dearie? Aft may I meet the morning dew, Lang greet till I be weary, Thou canna, winna, gentle maid, Thou canna be my dearie. The Sheeling, to the tune, The Mucking o' Geordie's Byre. O, oh, grand bounds the deer o'er the mountain, And smooth skims the hare o'er the plain, at noon the cool shade by the fountain is sweet to the lass and her swain. The evening sits down dark and dreary, 
oh yawns the loud joys of the ha the laird sings his dogs and his dearie oh he kens na his singing of a but oh my dear lassie when with thee what's the deer and the mockin to me the storm sowin wild drives me to thee and the plaid shelters baith me and thee and the wild world then may be reeling pride and riches may lift up their ee my plaid haps us baith in the sheeling that's ah to my lassie and me the u books marion Oh, mind ye the U-books, my Marian, it was there I forgathered with thee. The sun smiled sweet o'er the mountain, and saft soughed the leaf on the tree. Thou wast fair, thou wast bonny, my Marian, and lovesome thy rising breast bane. The dew sat in gems o'er thy ringlets, by the thorn when we were alane. There we loved, there thou promised, my Marian, thy soul ah thy beauties were mine crows we skipped to the ha i the gloaming but few were my slumbers and thine fell war tore me lang frae thee marion lang watery and red was my e the pride o the field but inflamed me to return mere worthy o thee o why art thou lovely my marion thy heart bounds in kindness to me and here, oh, here is my bosom, that languished my Marion for thee. Lady Anne Barnard Lady Anne Lindsay was the eldest of a family of eight sons and three daughters, born to James, Earl of Balcarres, by his spouse, Anne Dalrymple, a daughter of Sir Robert Dalrymple, of Castleton, Baronet. She was born at Balcarres in Fife, on the 8th of December, 1750. Inheriting a large portion of the shrewdness long possessed by the old family of Lindsay, and a share of talent from her mother, who was a person of singular energy, though somewhat capricious in temper, Lady Anne evinced, at an early age, an uncommon amount of sagacity. Fortunate in having her talents well directed, and naturally inclined towards the acquisition of learning, she soon began to devote herself to useful reading, and even to literary composition. The highly popular ballad of Old Robin Grey was written when she had only attained her twenty-first year. According to her own narrative, communicated to Sir Walter Scott, she had experienced loneliness on the marriage of her younger sister, who accompanied her husband to London, and had sought relief from a state of solitude by attempting the composition of a song. An old Scottish melody, sung by an eccentric female, an attendant on Lady Balcarres, was connected with words unsuitable to the plaintive nature of the air, and, with the design of supplying the defect, she formed the idea of writing Old Robin Grey. The hero of the ballad was the old herdsman at Balcarres. To the members of her own family Lady Anne only communicated her new ballad, scrupulously concealing the fact of her authorship from others perceiving the shyness it created in those who could write nothing. While still in the bloom of youth, the Earl of Balcarres died, and the Dowager Countess, having taken up her residence in Edinburgh, Lady Anne experienced increased means of acquainting herself with the world of letters. 
At her mother's residence she met many of the literary persons of consideration in the northern metropolis, including such men as Lord Monboddo, David Hume, and Henry Mackenzie. To comfort her sister, Lady Margaret Fordyce, who was now a widow, she subsequently removed to London, where she formed the acquaintance of the principal personages then occupying the literary and political arena, such as Burke, Sheridan, Dundas, and Wyndham. She also became known to the Prince of Wales, who continued to entertain for her the highest respect. In 1793 she married Andrew Barnard, Esquire, son of the Bishop of Limerick, and afterwards secretary under Lord McCartney to the colony at the Cape of Good Hope. She accompanied her husband to the Cape, and had meditated a voyage to New South Wales that she might minister, by her benevolent counsels, towards the reformation of the convicts there exiled. On the death of her husband, in 1807, she again resided with her widowed sister, Lady Margaret, till the year 1812, when, on the marriage of her sister to Sir James Burgess, she occupied a house of her own, and continued to reside in Berkeley Square till the period of her death, which took place on the 6th of May, 1825. To entire rectitude of principle, amiability of manners, and kindness of heart, Anne Barnard added the more substantial, and in females the more uncommon quality, of eminent devotedness to intellectual labour. Literature had been her favourite pursuit from childhood, and even in advanced life, when her residence was the constant resort of her numerous relatives, she contrived to find leisure for occasional literary réunions, while her forenoons were universally occupied in mental improvement. She maintained a correspondence with several of her brilliant contemporaries, and, in her more advanced years, composed an interesting narrative of family memoirs. She was skilled in the use of the pencil, and sketched scenery with effect. In conversation she was acknowledged to excel, and her stories and anecdotes were a source of delight to her friends. She was devotedly pious and singularly benevolent. She was liberal in sentiment, charitable to the indigent, and sparing of the feelings of others. Every circle was charmed by her presence. By her condescension she inspired the diffident, and she banished dullness by the brilliancy of her humour. Her countenance, it should be added, wore a pleasant and animated expression, and her figure was modelled with the utmost elegance of symmetry and grace. Her sister, Lady Margaret Fordyce, was eminently beautiful. The popularity obtained by the ballad of Old Robin Grey has seldom been exceeded in the history of any other metrical composition. It was sung in every fashionable circle, as well as by the ballad singers from Land's End to John O'Groats, was printed in every collection of national songs, and drew tears from our military countrymen both in America and India. With the exception of Pinkerton, every writer on Scottish poetry and song has awarded it a tribute of commendation. The elegant and accomplished authoress, says Ritson, has, in this beautiful production, to all that tenderness and simplicity for which the Scottish song has been so much celebrated, united a delicacy of expression which it never before attained. Old Robin Gray, says Sir Walter Scott, is that real pastoral which is worth all the dialogues which Coridan and Phyllis have had together from the days of Theocritus downwards. 
During a long lifetime, till within two years of her death, Lady Anne Barnard resisted every temptation to declare herself the author of the popular ballad, thus evincing her determination not to have the secret wrested from her till she chose to divulge it. Some of those inducements may be enumerated. The extreme popularity of the ballad might have proved sufficient in itself to justify the disclosure, but, apart from this consideration, a very fine tune had been put to it by a doctor of music. A romance had been founded upon it by a man of eminence. It was made the subject of a play, of an opera, and of a pantomime. It had been claimed by others. A sequel had been written to it by some scribbler who professed to have composed the whole ballad. It had been assigned an antiquity far beyond the author's time. The Society of Antiquaries had made it the subject of investigation, and the author had been advertised for in the public prints, a reward being offered for the discovery. Never before had such general interest been exhibited respecting any composition in Scottish verse. In The Pirate, published in 1823, the author of Waverley had compared the condition of Minna to that of Jeanie Grey in the words of Lady Anne in a sequel which she had published to the original ballad. Nay langer she wept, her tears were now spent, despair it was come, and she thought it content. She thought it content, but her cheek it grew pale, and she drooped like a snowdrop broke down by the hail. At length, in her seventy-third year, and upwards of half a century after the period of its composition, the author voluntarily made a vowel of the authorship of the ballad and its sequel. She wrote to Sir Walter Scott, with whom she was acquainted, requesting him to inform his personal friend, the author of Waverley, that she was indeed the author. She enclosed a copy to Sir Walter, written in her own hand, and, with her consent, in the course of the following year, he printed Old Robin Grey, as a contribution to the Bannatine Club. The second part has not acquired such decided popularity, and it has not often been published with it in former collections. Of the fact of its inequality, the accomplished author was fully aware. She wrote it simply to gratify the desire of her venerable mother, who often wished to know how the unlucky business of Jeanie and Jamie ended. The Countess, it may be remarked, was much gratified by the popularity of the ballad, and though she seems, out of respect to her daughter's feelings, to have retained the secret, she could not resist the frequent repetition of it to her friends. In the character of Lady Anne Barnard, the defective point was a certain want of decision, which not only led to her declining many distinguished and advantageous offers for her hand, but tended, in some measure, to deprive her of posthumous fame. Illustrative of the latter fact, it has been recorded that, having entrusted to Sir Walter Scott a volume of lyrics, composed by herself and by others of the noble house of Lindsay, with permission to give it to the world, she withdrew her consent after the compositions had been printed in a quarto volume, and were just on the eve of being published. The copies of the work, which was entitled Lays of the Lindsays, appear to have been destroyed, one lyric only has been recovered, beginning, Why tarries my love? It is printed, as the composition of Lady Anne Barnard, in a note appended to the latest edition of Johnson's Musical Museum, by Mr. C. K. Sharp, who transcribed it from the Scots Magazine for May, 1805. The popular song, Logie O'Buchan, 
sometimes attributed to Lady Anne in the collections, did not proceed from her pen, but was composed by George Halkett, parochial schoolmaster of Rathen in Aberdeenshire, about the middle of the last century. Old Robin Gray, Part One. When the sheep are in the fold, and the kies come hame, and all the world to rest are gain, the ways o' my heart fa'n showers frae my e, unkent by my good man, wha sleeps sound by me. Young Jamie load me weel, and he sought me for his bride, but saving a crown piece he had Nathan beside. To make the crown a pound my Jamie gaed to see, and the crown and the pound they were baith for me. He hadna been gain a twelvemonth and a day, when my father brake his arm, and the cow was stone away. My mother she fell sick, my Jamie at the sea, and old Robin Gray came a-courting me. My father couldna work, my mither couldna spin. I toiled day and night, but their bread I couldna win. Old Rob maintained them baith, and we tears in his ee, said, Jeanie, oh, for their sakes, will you no marry me? My heart it said na, and I looked for Jamie back, but hard blew the winds, and his ship was a rack. The ship was a rack. Why didna Jamie dee? Or why am I spared to cry, way is me? My father urged me sair, my mither didna speak, but she looked in my face till my heart was like to break. They gied him my hand, my heart was in the sea, and so Robin Gray, he was good man to me. I had not been his wife a week, but only four, when, mournful as I sat on the stain at my door, I saw my Jamie's ghaist, for I could not think it he, till he said, I've come hame, love, to marry thee. O oh, sir, sir, did we greet, and mickle say of ah, I gied him a kiss, and bade him gang awa. I wish that I were dead, but I'm nae like to dee, for though my heart is broken, I'm but young, way as me. I gang like a ghaist, and care na much to spin, I dare na think o' Jamie, for that would be a sin, but I'll do my best, a good wife to be, for o' Robin Gray, he is kind to me. Part two. The spring had passed o'er, twas summer nae mair, and trembling were scattered the leaves in the air. O oh, winter, cried Jeanie, we kindly agree, for way looks the sun when he shines on me. Nay longer she wept, her tears were all spent, despair it was come, and she thought it content. She thought it content, but her cheek was grown pale, and she drooped like a snowdrop broke down by the hail. Her father was sad, and her mother was way, but silent and thoughtful was old Robin Gray. He wandered his lane, and his face was as lean as the side of a bray where the torrents have been. He gaed to his bed, but nae physic would take, and often he said, It is best for her sake, while Jeanie supported his head as he lay, the tears trickled down upon old Robin Gray. Oh, greet nae mair, Jeanie, said he, wi' a groan, I'm nae worth your sorrow, the truth maun be known, 
Send round for your neighbours, my hour it draws near, and I've that to tell that its fit ah should hear. I've wronged her, he said, but I kent it o'er late. I've wronged her, and sorrow is speeding my date. But as for the best, since my death will soon free a faithful young heart that was ill-matched wi' me. I lowed and I courted her money a day. The old folks were for me, but still she said nay. I kent now, Jamie, nor yet o' her vow. In mercy forgie me, twas I stole the cow. I cared not for crummy, I thought but o' thee. I thought it was crummy stood twixt you and me. While she fed your parents, oh, did you not say, you never would marry wee old Robin Gray? But sickness at hame, and want at the door, ye gave me your hand, while your heart it was sore. I saw it was sore, why took I her hand? Oh, that was a deed to my shame o'er the land. How truth, soon or late, comes to open daylight, for Jamie come back, and your cheek it grew white. White, white grew your cheek, but I true unto me. O oh, Jeanie, I am thankful, I am thankful to thee. Is Jamie come here yet? And Jamie he saw. I've injured you, sir, lad, so I leave you my ah. Be kind to my Jeanie, and soon may it be. Waste no time, my doties, in mourning for me. They kissed his cold hands, and a smile o'er his face seemed hopeful of being accepted by grace. O oh, doubtna, said Jamie, for gien he will be, while wouldna be tempted, my love, to win thee. The first days were dowie, while time slipped awa, but saddest and saddest to Jeanie of a, was thinking she couldna be honest and right, wi tears in her ee, while her heart was sae light. But nay guile had she, and her sorrow away, the wife of her Jamie, the tear couldna stay. A bonny wee bairn, the old folks by the fire. Oh, now she has a that her heart can desire. In an earlier continuation of the original ballad, there are some good stanzas, which, however, the author had thought proper to expunge from the piece in its altered and extended form. One verse, descriptive of Robin Gray's feelings on observing the concealed and withering grief of his spouse, is beautiful for its simplicity. Nay questions he speared her concerning her health. He looked at her often, but I twas by stealth. When his heart it grew grit and sighing, he feigned to gang to the door to see if it rained. Song Why tarries my love? Ah, where does he rove? My love is long absent from me. Come hither, my dove, I'll write to my love and send him a letter by thee. To find him, swift fly, the letter I'll tie, secure to thy leg with a string. Ah, not to my leg, fair lady I beg, but fasten it under my wing. Her dove she did deck, she drew o'er his neck, a bell and a collar so gay. She tied to his wing the scroll with a string, then kissed him and sent him away. It blew and it rained, the pigeon, disdained, to seek shelter, undaunted he flew, till wet was his wing, and painful his string, so heavy the latter it grew. It flew all around, till Colin he found, 
then perched on his head with the prize, whose heart, while he reads, with tenderness bleeds for the pigeon that flutters and dies. End of section four. Recording by Cherley. B.C. Canada.